um, to be able to look at predominantly white evangelical leaders who have always had power and always associated with power feels like the wrong place to be getting our wisdom from on these issues because this is new. We've never done this. And we can't admit that we don't know how to do this. We we just spend our time mulling it over and thinking over. But when, when, you, when we look at uh, predominantly spaces of color, churches of color, leadership, leadership of color, they've been leading in this stuff for 400 years where it's been like, okay, my government is corrupt and it's screwing me over every single place I go. How do I maintain hope in the middle of that? How do I, you know, when, when, when it continues to go against me, one of the sermons that we had right before the election was no matter what happens, if it goes one way and it's been really rough for us these past four years, guess what? We're also having God do so much stuff this past four years. We've never had as many people come to Christ because they're learning about black history, which is leading them to repentance, which is leading them to a relation with Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Methinks podcast. Um, our journey as Christians, graduate students, and Bobbing scholars regularly leads us to explore questions about ethics, sexuality, history, and faith. The Methinks podcast is an invitation for you to join us in that journey, to thoughtfully engage and wrestle with these questions alongside us. Um, my name is Maggie. I am a graduate student in the field of history, specifically American evangelical history. And my name is Joel. I'm a PhD student studying philosophy, and I specialize in epistemology, philosophy of religion, and ethics. For this episode, we continue our conversation evaluating the debate between Wayne Grudem and John Piper regarding whether or not evangelical Christians should vote for or against Trump. We know the 2020 election is over, but we think that there's still a lot to learn from everything that happened. To give you a short overview, John Piper argues that Trump's character is problematic and makes him unqualified for the position of president. According to Piper, character can corrupt a nation and has the ability to corrupt the character of other citizens, something that Christians should be really concerned about. Wayne Grudem, on the other hand, argues that policy and law tend to matter more than the character of the president. Besides, Grudem argues, Trump's character wasn't all that bad. To help us think through these issues, we've invited our friend Tyler Nyland to join us. Tyler is one of the white pastoral staff members at the Black-led multicultural church Fountain of Life, located in Madison, Wisconsin. He's also the Faith Community Relationship Manager for Nehemiah Center for Urban Leadership and Development. You know, I wonder, um, one of the things that came to my mind, or it was a question, I have no idea what this, if this applied at all or not. But they came to my mind when I thought about Piper versus Grudem in this, because we're right. They, they are 98% of the time, Grudem's right. They agree. They, they write the same books. They do the same stuff. They're best friends. But I wonder if there's any reality of the fact that Piper's daughter is black. Hmm. And I wonder if that factors at all into his thought. And into into why he shares, why he struggles over this, why he does this, and I don't know Grudem's family background, so I, I can't necessarily say. But I have to imagine that if I had a black daughter, and 
that, that that would make me think a little bit different about even perhaps some of the the things that Trump does policy wise that Trump says the realities when he just came out and, and was like uh, we're gonna eliminate any government entity from being able to take anything on the history of racism that deals with sy- the system systemic racism any uh, CRT any any of this stuff mm-hmm. it's gone and so I wonder. I have to think that there's something about Piper who sees that and it affects him in some way. I mean, that's certainly the case with um, Eric Metaxas and David French, right? So they're kind of, um, they were the big debaters before the election in 2020. David French as a a never Trumper and uh, Eric Metaxas as a, you know, always Trumper. He's kind of fully behind this whole Trump still won uh, even now in, you know, January, still believing that. So very different sides of this debate. And David French and his arguments about, you know, why Christians should not vote for Trump brings up the treatment that his black children have received and the hatred towards his black children that he has received on social media. And so that argument um, that, oh, no, it hasn't affected the character of other people, he has primary evidence that, oh, no, it absolutely does because they've threatened to kill my kids. Uh Yeah, like this leads to like, I think my biggest criticism of both Grudem and Piper mm-hmm. is that they're trying to reduce this debate to whether or not character is equally valent. Like the impact of a president on character is equally valenced as compared to like the impact of a president on law. Like which matters more, their their character, their policy, um, and like that's all that's all in- that's all interesting. And like we should think about the character of presidents. We should think about the laws, but also bad character can be bad not just because it corrupts other people's character but because it harms people's well-being it harms their sense of belonging uh-huh. and I, I i just think this was completely overlooked in this discussion the problem is that each of these authors in my opinion reduces the problem of bad ca- character to a matter of whether bad character corrupts other character and i think this is narrow-sighted consider this i think that bad character carries a lot of moral political weight because bad character can manifest itself in all sorts of harmful ways. For example, disrespectful engagement with women in the press and in politics, a consistent lack of empathy and regard for the outcry against racial injustice, the use of undignifying stigma-enforcing rhetoric towards immigrants and foreigners. Um, I could give lists and and tons of examples of that sort of rhetoric coming from the presidency the last four years. Um, Or bad character can manifest itself in non-empathetic, historically racialized language like law and order as a response to protests and it can manifest as a lack of earnestness in condemning white supremacy at every turn. So look, bad character in the president could corrupt the character of other citizens for sure, for sure. But it could also alienate them. It could harm them. It could, it could disrespect them. It could oppress those who have lived on the margins of American society. And I just don't see any of this coming up in this exchange. Mm -hmm. I don't see this harms against marginalized people um, perspective coming up it's totally missing in Grudem totally missing in Piper it might be there beneath the surface in Piper maybe that's some of his concern but they're arguing to the 80 percent of white evangelicals who voted for Trump like that's who they're trying this is my point though like that argument that you've just made is gonna fall on largely deaf ears because a lot of white evangelicals are saying oh well like that's not a big deal but here is my question like even if you do support Trump because of whatever issue you you think that his character has been maligned for 
no reason or you're a policy, not a person kind of argument. Um, Think of it this way. When you are responding to Democrats and the way that they attack you, and now you're facing a Democratic White House, how are you feeling? Because I want you to magnify that by a lot. Right. So just the attacks on conservatives have been pretty vicious in the past year. Right. They've been called idiots. They've been called, um, you know, all sorts of things. And I think that out of reactions to that, a lot of conservatives have felt very alienated, very hurt, very, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? All of our liberties are going to be taken away. And so, you know, exactly what we're talking about, because marginalized groups have been feeling this for a lot longer and in a, a lot more ways. Right. And not necessarily in such a politically divisive way. Right. They've been getting it from all sides in many different ways. And so for those of you who are out there who might be saying, I I don't really think that's that big of a deal, really, truly, I want you to think about the way that you've been personally insulted and how that's made you feel about politics and society and your place in society. Um, Because I don't think that there is a perfect correlation or a perfect, it's not a perfect analogy, right? Because you are not equal to those experiences. Um, But the fact that you've experienced them at some level means that you do think that exists. And so don't dismiss that argument entirely, because I think that's definitely the impulse that a lot of people have. And that's why Piper and Grudem wouldn't have mentioned it. Yeah. I just, um, I think it does beg the, the question, though, as, as you mentioned, Maggie, and as Joel sort of commented back, and I was like, well, that's a problem, uh, is the idea that why is the audience for this going to just stay especially when we're christians right Mm -hmm. like when we're christians and we know that there's a diverse body of believers why is the only interlocutors in this context predominantly white men and why is it only going to predominantly white communities Mm -hmm. um i i took a internet search on this and i tried to find anyone who's a scholar academic or pastor of color who commented on this or, or wrote on this I saw one person of color on Twitter who has who said, "Oh, Grudem, like we're still talking about him." That was it, because it, it's it's irrelevant. It's like, you know, for for the experience for so much, it, it feels irrelevant to to the the faith uh, and the faith faithful practice. And if we can't understand that there's there's an echo chamber that this is happening in, and why is this only happening in this spot? And certainly there are people of color here or there who, who are part of it, but why is this mainly happening in one spot? And, and that's a question for larger evangelicalism, white evangelicalism mm-hmm. as a whole. But Yeah, and I, and I think that's part of my concern is I think that, you know, to generalize a bit, I think white evangelicals are part of a tradition of discipleship according to which my personal piety is very, very important. My personal manifestation of christian virtues and like look i think that's all really important too and the new testament endorses that we're exonerated encouraged to pursue christian virtue it's just that when personal piety starts to eclipse the impact of systemic barriers and harms then personal piety is like it's causing your discipleship to atrophy you're missing out on what it means to fully immerse yourself in the kingdom of god to do justice and to love mercy and i think that Again, to generalize a bit, it just seems like some of us white people in this conversation are overlooking the way that political figures can harm others because of what they say, Mm -hmm. because of what they don't say. And so it's not just about bad character 
polluting other people's character. It's about bad character harming historically aggrieved people because of what's said, because of insensitivity, because of thoughtlessness, because of an unwillingness to protect and defend historically aggrieved people at every turn. And personal piety like is great, but we need to think about the way that political figures can create alienation um, within a nation for those who have been marginalized. Which so, is wild because I think that's yeah. what Grudem is saying from a different perspective. Like when you were talking about the systemic piece and like he's yeah. the personal piety and stuff, which is so wild to me because it just feels like you get it, but in a way that doesn't feel to me like you get it at all. Even though yeah, you're, you're saying yeah, you're right. the idea of systemic stuff, you know, like like systemic stuff works for you when it works for you, but it doesn't work for you when it doesn't work for you. Yeah, Grudem sees that systemic things could definitely harm image bearers. It's just that the scope of the harms is somewhat truncated and not because like he's vicious. I think no. to be charitable, I think he, my guess is like a lot of us, he just doesn't recognize the kinds of harms that are out there, the way that image bearers are being harmed. Um, or he might, he might, I mean, he might think like, look, there's a lot of systemic racism in the United States, but abortion is the Trump card. No pun intended. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the, the issue of course, is that let's say, um, you're the kind of, let's take this case study, uh, you're a college student, you're on campus, you've been hearing from a lot of your professors who are not Christians about the egregious um, issues, racial justice issues in the United States. Um, You know that this is true, right? You've looked at this, the data is there, the evidence is there. Um, You go to church, you believe in Christ, and you see that there's a message in the Bible that's saying that you ought to care for these people, and yet the message you're getting is that we don't have time for those issues because the abortion issue is more important. Um, I think that what's happening to a lot of the, the Gen, um, Gen Zers and perhaps some of the millennials um, is that they're faced with that. They have no options. And for many of them, they're saying, okay, so either I have to completely abandon uh, my church community because they don't understand uh, because they think I've been brainwashed. Um, And I I really, I think the problem that I have as someone who's been in the academy for so long is there's also truth to that. Like they have been somewhat brainwashed, like not in a malicious way. Same thing with the church, right? Like you have a path and you have a message and you're going to get to that message. So just like the church is all about salvation um, and it's always about, okay, personal salvation, personal salvation, personal salvation. Some of the other key teachings of the Bible get pushed to aside, right? As secondary, right? Kingdom building often becomes a secondary concern. Not that it's not important, but like salvation, salvation. I think for the academy, um, it can also, it can, it can be a similar sort of uh, argumentation that happens. Like, yes, there's nuance to this, but if we just vilify conservatives, um, we're going to get more progress on racial justice issues. I think this happens a lot in the humanities. Um, I can personally tell you a lot of ways that conservatives have been vilified and that there just is not a lot of space for them in the higher levels of the academy. And so they're not wrong right? That you're being slightly brainwashed um, on both sides uh, in the, in the sense that you're being, um, you're 
you're put blinders are being put on you. That's probably a better way of putting it. You're being given blinders. And as an intelligent, you know, rising adult, uh, emerging adult, as some might say, you can see that, but you don't know what to do with it. And I think that this political debate exacerbates that problem. And so you're suddenly with these two sets of blinders that you've been given um, are asked to make a choice, you know, between one candidate or the other. And I, you know, I, I feel that I don't have a really strong answer um, because I, I think that not, I think I know lots of people who have faced that and made opposite decisions based on, you know, what their community is based on where the Lord has placed their heart and their concern. Um, And I just, it's, it's tragic that politics has become this issue, right? Like what, I'm sorry, but what on earth, evangelicals, like where in the Bible does power become the central issue for us to be concerned over? And really that's what politics boils down to is power. Because if you truly are trusting in the Lord, um, then this kind of fearful, we can't lose power as white evangelicals or just evangelicals in general, like we can't lose power because the nation will fall. Do you know how prideful that is? Like the Lord holds the nations in his hand, right? So if there needs to be some kind of political reckoning uh, to fix some of these other areas of American life that have been ignored for so long, like let God do that. I I love what you just said. And I think you pointed out some really great even like this sense of dichotomy right that we have to choose one or the other um and often that's just not the reality for us but it all almost feels like a new experience for us like we're finally having to face these moral quandaries of like oh we have to choose between this and this is where i'm gonna get on you know i'm just gonna share you invited me as a guest so i'll share my perspective from where i come from my perspective but Um, To be able to look at predominantly white evangelical leaders who have always had power and always associated with power feels like the wrong place to be getting our wisdom from on these issues because this is new. We've never done this, and we can't admit that we don't know how to do this. We just spend our time mulling it over and thinking over. But when we we look at uh, predominantly spaces of color, churches of color, leadership, leadership of color, they've been leading in this stuff for 400 years. Where it's in like, okay, my government is corrupt and it's screwing me over every single place I go. How do I maintain hope in the middle of that? How do I, you know, when 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 it continues to go against me, one of the sermons that we had right before the election was, no matter what happens, if it goes one way and it's been really rough for us these past four years, guess what? We're also having God do so much stuff this past four years. We've never had as many people come to Christ because they're learning about black history, which is leading them to repentance, which is leading them to a relation with Jesus. We've never had that before. So black leadership and leadership of color, they know how to handle this stuff because they've done it for their whole lives. And the fact that we sort of like think, okay, I got to wrestle with this on my own instead of like, what if we actually listen to voices of color or voices who, who know how to handle these weird places of i don't know this doesn't make sense the government feels one way power is over here but but how do i do this um and has people from both maybe political spectrums like the idea of we have to choose between abortion or we have to choose between racial justice and systemic justice we can uh we can 
deal with both mm-hmm. in our church and actually address it um, in ways that are holistic, that are not, okay, well, we got a law here and we've got um, programs here uh, and, and personal stuff here. Let's intersect them. That's what, that's what churches of color and predominantly black mm-hmm. churches in, in, in particular have done their whole existence is how do we create holistic spaces? Yeah. So that I went on my own little spot mm-hmm. there. That's that's what that's I do. Great. That's, yeah. that's great. Just what I have to share. But um, yeah, it just feels like that to me. Tyler, I just what I love about that is you're pointing out something that I've noticed in arguments, um, recent arguments within the evangelical churches is that well, we just need to focus on evangelism, and the the fact is like the Lord is going to bring people to the church who need the church um, and that we don't have to be in a position of power for that to happen. Actually, uh, the church has known this because there's been this kind of like mystical, um, you know, oh, in third world countries, the church flourishes. And isn't it great if we could just get rid of our materialism? Ha ha ha. Let me go buy you a latte. Um, There's this kind of attitude, right? And yet here we are facing um, perhaps a, a decline in power of American evangelicalism. And the fear is that, like, no, we need to hold on to it for the sake of evangelism. When we actually have evidence to the contrary, losing that power will actually give us more evangelical power in the sense of evangelizing and bringing people to Christ, because it's from a position of weakness that the Lord can often use us. I mean, there are literal Bible verses that say that exact same thing. So... (laughs) I love that point, Tyler. Yeah, that's really an astute point to make. Can you help clarify something for me, though? This is a good discussion. I guess I just have this inner dialogue about this issue that goes something like this. Power can corrupt the witness of the church. And we see throughout the life of Christ, throughout the New Testament, that when people grasp for Caesar's sword, when they grasp for power, they, they start to do very non-kingdom-like things, very anti-kingdom-like things. And so the kingdom enjoins us to live a life of, of servant-heartedness. Um, as, as Piper actually says in his essay, he, he talks about being an exile. And he, like, he just says, like, we need to remember we're exiles here on earth. And um, there's actually kind of a, a sexy little quote here that he he, he ends this, the sermon with, he says, I will invite others to become an exile, to have a kingdom that will never be shaken, not even when America is a footnote in the archives of the new creation. And this is really cool. Like, it's cool to think about how, like, Christianity thrives when the church takes itself to be exiles in this world rather than those trying to grasp for Caesar's power. On the other hand, the inner, inner dialogue I have then goes this direction. But... There are people whose well-being and lives have historically been super harmed, and political change is part of what's going to be required to undo those things, to protect those lives. I'm thinking about the black community, um, and I mean, you know, we're seeing a lot of transformation as far as gender justice goes, but for a long time, um, women were historically aggrieved, and we needed we needed political shifts. To, to to bring about shalom in some sense like it, it, it's it's hard to divorce my love of neighbor for my concern for politics because politics impacts my neighbor and then i go back to but be careful with power and i'm not really sure how to balance these two and i mean this is sort of taking us a little bit away from this discussion but it does intersect and so how does yeah i mean tyler just going back to your point about like the black church having to like navigate this for decades centuries um how does 
how does the yeah how does the black church think about power and like try to how does it reconcile like power's corrupting influence with at the same time power's ability to like undo injustice yeah and this is the you know the primary um concern right is like oh well if we give um if you know if it's power well now they're grasping for power so now it's you know it's going to create this cycle of violence and that's assuming that black people are going to use power the way white people do that is an assumption that be, that and and the difference of formation and the difference of wisdom and how it works and how you've seen power used power in itself right like we god has granted us with the the um the, in Genesis one, it talks about you know we've been given this authority, like steward, delegate, yeah, um, like to steward, oh, to, to have to dominion, cause, to have dominion, to flourish, yeah. right? And that's part of creating order. That's part of taking chaos and bringing it into order. Ah, and so, good, good. So that in itself is not a bad quote unquote thing. The problem is when we get when we we get elusive into power, we grasp onto, yeah. we long for, we cling to it, we block everyone else out because we're not listening to God's perspective. We're not taking what we have, what we've been given and letting it be used for God's purposes and flourishing. And so to give over authority uh, to others is a, and to think that they're just going to use it the way white males in particular have used it is, a, is quite the assumption. Um, and, and it does that with that. And I just think, um, um, yeah, it, it caused me to think a little bit too about how, um, I know that there's been arguments that, well, you know, if, uh, we just, if we do this, we're just going to start saying whatever is someone who's a black person says is true and anything a white person says is automatically false mm. or this person has something to say on the issue because they're of lower social status. And so because they've been oppressed, they, they, they're the right one and anyone else who would go against it is wrong. And I think that's really another assumption too, because when we look at even the idea of postmodernism and, and what it's brought to us, we've got uh, the, the, the bad piece about postmodernism that I think has been difficult is that it sort of says the idea that everyone's perspective is true and that's a, that's a harmful piece that that cannot be true. Everyone's perspective cannot be true, but we have for so long never heard anyone's perspective outside of the normative, like white male perspective equals right. normative. And if anyone challenges it, it's like, no, that's wrong. And so the fragility there, even to say we can't even encounter or discuss or bring up this idea, hmm. it, it causes that to be there. So I may have gone off on a little tangent there. But that's my perspective and what I think and what you asked. I mean, I, I'm going to push back on that a little bit in the sense that I think I have the view it power is going to corrupt. Like, I, I just really think it will. I, you, if you look globally, um, this is not an American issue with American Christianity. Uh, this is something that is human nature, right? Sure. If you aren't. But, I, but I like, what I like about um, your statement, I do think that right now we are being asked to, I mean, really just at the very bit, like at the very foundation, why aren't you willing to give more power to uh -huh. black individuals? Because if you really explore that, you don't have a good reason. I get yeah. you, you just don't except yeah. perhaps fear that it's a zero sum game. Their gain of power is your loss. 
Mm. And as Christians, that's not a calculation that I think we're supposed to be making. I just don't think there's a good biblical claim for that. Mm. Uh, so this kind of um, submission to perhaps the shift that the Lord is asking for us in the church. I think one of the things that I have been particularly convicted of this past year is why am I not just listening to more black voices and kind of putting myself under their teaching? Uh, not uncritically, not in the sense of like what you said, Tyler, that, oh, they must be right because they're black, but instead just recognizing there's a void in my knowledge that is based on race. And that's not reflective of God's kingdom. So fix it. Right. And I think the same thing can be said for power structures uh, within the church and without. Right. And yeah, I really appreciate that about your point. And you're, you're definitely right on too about the pushback that you gave because yes, power, no matter where it comes from, when it, when it is sort of, um, uh, against what God's structure is, the, the allure of it, the, the fact that our hearts really, as humans, really do crave and long on to, and all that sort of stuff. It corrupts us. Uh, I almost want to throw in some Lord of the Rings analogies here, but <laughs> I'm not sure if that's uh, appropriate yeah, uh, or too, too, too long to go into it. But um, the best of us can always be corrupted. But I don't think it's mutually exclusive that authority means that that Mm-hmm. that happens. Does that make sense? Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's hierarchy. The Lord asks certain people to have roles of authority. Uh, of course, that's a gift, right? Leadership is a yeah. gift. Uh, it could be a spiritual gift as well. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, that it seems to me like fear and anxiety can hinder our capacity as image bearers, right? It can like thwart that, um, that call to steward and to rule that you were talking about, Tyler. On the one hand, fear of fear of the opposing political party taking power um, can lead us to scramble and to be anxious and to want to like grasp for political power. And then we're operating like not like not like image bearing stewards. We're operating like little Caesars who are trying to like have control right and that's clearly anti-kingdom on the other hand it does feel like there's a kind of fear and anxiety we could have about power right where we're now all of a sudden fearful of what political power can do to us and so we just like cast off all concern for it and we're like nope we're just gonna like chill out in our little churches and within the four walls of our churches and just do this whole christian piety christian evangelism thing and it feels like that's also a way of giving away our our dominion and our call to steward as image bearers and so maybe the thing here is just to like to grow up, right? Like Christian discipleship is about learning how to be stewards in a way that's faithful to God's kingdom. And that's not going to be easy. And at every turn, there's going to be temptation to abuse power, to flee from power. Um, and I guess we just have to go on that journey of learning how to properly use power. And I think going back to your point, I think we do absolutely do have a lot to learn from the black community about how to do that well. Um, because they're, they're the ones who have been in a position where like, they've had to learn how to how to manifest the kingdom in the midst of not being represented well of not being uh, respected of having rights undermined and so there's i think there's something they they can teach us absolutely you know one thing we didn't talk about much but i I think it was i think a good point on piper's part piper argues that 
endorsement of Trump can hurt Christian witness. And mm-hmm. I actually think that's absolutely true. Yeah. It, it's not necessarily a decisive reason to vote against Trump or to withhold vote for Trump, but like my Christian witness is important and it's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. And so if I knew that that was going to pose a serious threat to my Christian witness, I, um, I think I would have a pretty strong obligation mm-hmm. to not vote for Trump because I don't know, kingdom over politics. Yeah. And then of course I hear the response. Yeah, but there are all these important things related to politics that your kingdom witness calls you to care about. So it, it's mm-hmm. tricky. It is. But at the same time, like taking the witness thing to a political level, like if you just, you know, bite the bullet and vote for Trump, there is no reason for the GOP or any political party to care about moral character with the next round. Like truly, I think that it one of the things that was significant about the 2020 election was that there were enough people on the fence who clearly opposed Trump because of his character, because of who he was as a person, that hopefully um, the political like parties will recognize, oh, we can't have another Trump because we're going Set to lose people, right? And so yeah. like there's that witness as well, like that kind of stand that people can take. I know that was certainly part of my rationale. Um, in thinking about like who to vote for was that like if you don't actually Same. like change the voting pattern it's literally not going to matter to a political party what you say yeah. ever right yeah. well scary in some ways too is that I, f- I feel like within um, within the Republican Party right if they were to choose not to go with Trump and Trump ran on his own they're done. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for the Democrats, if Bernie Sanders would have ran mm-hmm. or Elizabeth Warren, they had been done mm-hmm. because because you have like the super far side of each and then you have the super moderate side mm-hmm. of each. Right. And that's it was it was Biden and super far this year. But um, I don't know. Next year, what happens if it's uh they try and do the two moderates and then people decide to run. Like if Trump were to run again uh, and do it the opposite way, I wouldn't be surprised if Sanders tried to run because mm-hmm. he'd be like, Ooh, we actually might be able to to do this. Even if, because Sanders really going to be alive in four years. <laughs> well, maybe Elizabeth Warren. Okay. All right. I mean, I still can't believe that the guy tried it in 2020. Um, he yeah, had a true. heart attack on the campaign trail. But yeah, I I think that's right. What I'd really like to see is actually a four-way race um, because you're right. Like traditionally when you have the third party option, it's going to split the vote. That's always what's happened. Luckily, it also tends to lead to major platform shifts. So even though you're kind of sacrificing a four-year presidency um, kind of on the altar of the two-party system, it does usually lead to some pretty big sea changes in um, the platform campaign, you know, overall. And so- Historically speaking, uh, it wouldn't be the worst thing ever, but perhaps living in the real world, it might be bad. Or great. I don't know. All right, let's just wrap up here. And Tyler, thank you so much for your point of view and your perspective. Uh, This is certainly a topic that can raise a lot of passion and uh, emotion. So uh, please, listener, if you're at all upset, um, I just ask that you, you know, if you're a believer, that you pray about it. Um, And if you truly believe that we are in the wrong, um, feel free to send us uh, an email at themethinkspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter. If you're interested in reading more about the historical perspective 
on uh, the Grudem debate in 2016, a lot of historians had responses to Wayne Grudem's um, support of Trump and then his retraction and then his uh, support once again. And so you can look that up pretty quickly by just looking up Grudem Trump um, and then Thomas Kidd is a really good place to start his blog. Um, John Fia also has a good blog. Uh, he blogs a lot about politics. He certainly does not support Trump in the sense that he wrote an entire book about why he thinks evangelicals voted for Trump much to his dismay. So that is the perspective of those historians largely. But it's an interesting read. It's definitely um, worth your time. And then, of course, there's the John Piper um, response to the 2020 election, which kind of reignited this Grudem debate once again in the year 2020. So thank you so much for joining us on the Methinks podcast. Podcast.